TheOAMNetwork.com. Power to the podcast. sponsored by Sarah Cycling Group. This is episode 48. Do you have a bike-related project coming up? Sarah's Parking can help with that. Their expertise can be found in their in-house support for your bike parking and infrastructure projects. Sarah's has an LEED credentialed professionals on staff that can assist with your green building projects. And with their design specialists, they are able to create three-dimensional layouts of any space to ensure your area has the right products with the right spacing and clearances, whether you're parking five or 500 bikes. To get more information on these services and how they can help you with your next project, visit sarasparking.com slash bike nerds. Again, that's sarasparking.com slash bike nerds. What's up, Kyle? Not much. What's up with you? Just living my life, enjoying this beautiful Sunday. Oh, yeah. How's, how, what's the weather like in Memphis today? It's like in the 60s. Whoa. It was in the 70s yesterday. What's Boulder like? Yeah, it was pretty warm um, all week. I actually wore shorts yesterday. You wore shorts? Yeah, it was like in the mid-60s and beautiful. Dang, yeah. look at you. And then I went out for my run this morning and it was like 31 degrees again. <laughs> like all Were over you in again. shorts? No, I wore I wore pants and a long sleeve to, to run in this morning. But I, while I was running, this is how cold it was. Like while I was running, I the fro- the, the sweat on my like shoulders turned to frost while I was running. I think you should start like live streaming your runs because I'm very interested, maybe even more interested than I am in winter cycling as Kyle Wagon shoots running in Boulder during the winter. It would be like watching the most boring live stream of all time. It, number <laughs> I don't one, think it would be boring. I want to be really long and really slow. You, you'd be like approaching the same point. For, like, <laughs> I think you're selling for, like, yourself minutes. short. No, I'm, 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 I'm. I'm pretty good at like maintaining a really slow pace. How's that? Okay. How many <laughs> miles did you run today? Uh, today I did seven. Dang. Yeah. You know, and, you know, surprisingly, you know, last week I think I did like six on Sunday. And I, I do not feel nearly as bad as I did last Sunday. Like I, I guess was, that's... I was just sort of like out of it last week. I guess that's the point of training, right? I think that is the point of training. That's what, what, else? That's what they tell me anyways. Have you been traveling? Nope. That's been, nice, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's probably pretty soon here, next couple of weeks ago, I'll really sort of get kicked off for the spring slash summer travel season. But um, no, a little a little quiet before the storm. And, you know, in fact, uh, you know, my daughter's birthday was yesterday. So Happy she, birthday, yeah, Addie. Adeline, I know she listens in. She does. Uh, I've been trying to teach her to say, welcome to the bike nerds, so I could record it. We could use it as a promo cut. But it kind of just 
she kind of like just loves to say the word nerds a bunch. So she goes, nerds, 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 nerds. Let's still use that as a promo <laughs> cut. That like would make my cold heart sing <laughs> if Addie could do our intro. Yeah. What about Ethan? He speaks fluent he English. He speaks, right? He's he does. fluent in English. He's, he's working on reading at this point. Uh, oh, my God. Yeah. I mean, no, he could do it as well, I guess. I could have my dog do it. Edwin could Edwin, do it. Edwin would be great at it. Ruff, I think ruff, he'd be ruff, really rough, rough, woof. Our listeners have gotten know. gotten quite a bit of Edwin in the past, though. <laughs> yeah, uh, true. Just in general, fair enough. He's reached his fame. Yeah. So what do you what are you doing in? So it's like in Memphis, is it's a little bit warmer, so people are like in short sleeves. Outside. People are out. People mm-hmm. are biking. They're walking. I signed up for a bike challenge that you'll hear about in this episode. So I biked yesterday to log my first um, ride and a challenge that um, our guest Aisha is leading. So that was fun. Wow. I actually so, remember to so use Strava, when you logged the ride, you were actually using the Strava app to log it? Yes. Cool. Yes, but I'm really bad about remember Halfway through one of the legs of the ride, I realized I hadn't turned Strava on. That is that is the danger, right? You it is to, the danger, yeah. You have yeah. to actually do it. So, but that's fun. So I'm excited to, I'm doing, going to ride 40 miles in the next 10 days. Cool. Um, And I'm excited about that challenge. Like in little spurts? Yes. So like I need to reach 40 miles total within the next nine days. Oh, that'd be easy. Oh yeah. It's like four miles a day or eight miles one day, you know. Yeah. Easily. I like to have goals that I know that I'll reach. I think that's important. And, and and so this challenge that you're a part of, how long does it go on for? It is a six-month challenge. It's called the Do Better Together Challenge. Mm-hmm. And Aisha, as we'll learn together in the podcast, is you know training and has a goal to be the first African-American female road racer. And so part of the proceeds from this goes towards her journey and, and her effort to become a professional cyclist. Yeah. And then there's also like prizes and you get to – be with a group of, you know, women, um, and I think men are also welcome to participate as well, all working together. So, like, every month you'll have, like, a 10-day spurt where you set your own goal mm-hmm. and work to reach that goal. Super cool. In that yeah, you I've get, never done do anything get, like this before. I know. Do you get, like, a, a little joiner. Do you get, like, a little medal or something? There's a medal. You yes. get, like, a custom bib as well. Whoa. So, that's exciting. Yeah. Yeah, I feel wow. I'm really proud of myself because like, I don't do stuff like this. We're like so. breaking new territory here. Yeah, this Sarah is 2017. <laughs> maybe I'm going to be a joiner. Maybe like by the end of the year, I'll be part of like all these clubs. I know you're going to be running half marathons. No. No. Nope. A oh. half marathon is not in my future. Never say no. Never say no. I mean, Never there might no. be like a really killer medal, like a Star Wars medal that you just have to have. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I realize that you're really drawn towards that sort of thing, but. <laughs> The medals for me like don't hold a lot of weight. You should. I'm gonna send you the link to see these Star Wars medals. Okay, I'm more like bragging. Killer. Like I think I told everyone I've seen that I've joined this challenge. Yeah, that's all you need, right? Yeah, I just want to talk to people about how great I am. <laughs> uh, do you think that you'll be getting up at like 6 a.m. on a Sunday morning when it's 30 degrees out and doing any of these rides? Maybe. Interesting. I'm let pretty me, tough. You should let me know if any frost develops on you. That's how slow so my, I. I'm so slow that frost was developing you can't on my even back. Develop icicles. You only develop frost because you're running so slow. Uh, I did. I 
last week when I ran this, I ran this same route last week. It's sort of like up into the mountains for the, like the first like two and a half miles are pretty much just up the whole time. Yeah. It's pretty miserable. But last week I, I took a wrong turn. Well, that's not, that's not entirely true. I didn't take a wrong turn. I didn't trust that like the trail that I was on was actually the correct trail. So I started going down this trail last week and I got like halfway down it and, I'm, and it was like going away in the opposite direction of where I ultimately wanted to be. And it was like around this like little like Creek bed. And I just, I, I just didn't trust that that was, I was thought I was going to like end up like in Utah or something if I kept going. And <laughs> well, it turns out that I was like actually on the right thing. I should have just trusted it, it would have come, it would like circled back around and brought me back to where I wanted to go. And so last week when I was doing the run, like my run was a little bit short because I had I had mapped out this route that into, included this whole loop, and I only went halfway around the loop. And so this week I went around the whole loop today, and it was really hilly. And I was like, oh, maybe maybe it was good that I didn't run this last yeah. week. Yeah. Um, well, now you know. Yeah, but but I had to do an extra mile today, so I had to do that same that same route that, and I had to figure out how to plug in like another mile of running into it. So I ran that loop twice. Oh my gosh. I don't know. I, I just don't know why. I totally forgot. I went to Madison, Wisconsin this week. What? To visit Trek Bicycle and B Cycle. And Madison is also the home of Sarah Cycling Group. How was your trip to Madison? It was so fantastic. Now you Those didn't... truck folks are so nice. I didn't have time to visit Sarah. So the next time I'm in, Ma- yep. in Madison, that will be high on my list. But I got to tour the Trek factory yep. and see all the steps it takes to make a bike. And that was really fascinating. I was really interested in the carbon fiber like construction piece. Oh, I never yeah. really thought about like what it meant to build carbon fiber and mm-hmm. turn it into a bike. Yeah. Like, then we it's got like paper mache. See, yeah. It's really kind of crazy. Mm-hmm. It's like just these like tiny threads. That's the fi- that's the fiber part. I, I understand it, but I like never really understood it until <laughs> until and then, now. You know, B Cycle recently came out with a new bike, and I got to see um, their newest and greatest version of a bike share bike Whoa. that'll be this really great kind of hybrid station to station and spurt bike system. And it was really fun. And Madison is fantastic. Yeah, how was the snowfall? It was great. There it was snow was on the ground. Mm-hmm. You know, I used to live in the Midwest, and it made me miss the Midwest kind of driving from the airport and seeing like people ice skating on all the lakes <laughs> and like sledding and just like being in the snow. Yeah. And Trek owns this like fantastic like bed and breakfast called the Mansion Hill Inn. Yep. That has like 10 rooms and it's like historic and it was just a really great time. Now, I I also think they have like and you may not have noticed this in the snow, but they have like a huge like mountain bike course there on the factory site. They do indeed. I did not get to see it though. Yeah, I heard it's really awesome. So, like, if you're an employee there, like lunch break, let's just go out and ride some single track for a yeah. while. And it was really impressive the amounts of people that are winter commuting to, you know, Trek's headquarters is in Waterloo, Wisconsin, yep. which is like a 30 minute drive outside of Madison. And there was a ton of, you know, you know, commuter bikes and people that had you know, come in. I think they do a lot of like carpooling where like someone will bike in one day and like catch a ride with a friend back, back home. So it was interesting to kind of see that culture and they have a really great facility and, um, everyone was like really nice mm-hmm. and looked super cool. Cause they work for a bike company. Yeah. You know, Saris, um, on their like Facebook page will oftentimes post photos of their employees that are, that are biking to work, uh, in the winter time. And uh, it's always really impressive. I always look at it and say, "Good for you guys." That, it's those, good those, for you. Those are days that I would be riding the bus. I think. 
So yeah, I can't. I totally forgot I even went there, <laughs> and it was like a it was a, a an important part of my month. Just not even the month, your week. It was like my week. It even. was yeah, like it several up days a ago. Of my week, yeah. It was several, <laughs> who knows? Gosh. Oh man, Sarah, you're turning into me. I know. Just step by step. Pretty soon, you'll be on that half marathon <laughs> training circuit. I, you know, I I was thinking about like this half marathon thing, and you know, the real reason I'm doing it because I want the medals. Yes. But. but you like to to run the half marathon. I was trying to like figure out like cumulatively how much I've actually run in training, right? To of, to have the privilege of running thirteen point one miles at this like event in in April. But it's you see you don't. It's not just a half marathon. It's like the hundreds of other miles that that you run, sort of training for it, um, which makes it even a, a bigger daunting task. The, the half marathon feels insignificant at this point compared to what's already happened will you be able to know how many miles total you've yeah yeah because i'm using using like a training a training program app that that's been keeping track of everything that i've been doing since like october so that would be fun to see yeah yeah how much that is really interesting i didn't actually think about like all the miles that goes in whatever the sport is um to train to do this like one set of miles. Yeah. Also the, the thought of running an actual marathon terrifies me. Like, I just don't know what, what you would do mentally for 26 miles. Like if you were just, running an actual marathon. Yeah. I it's mean, a lot, I, it's a lot of time to like, it's a lot of time to like think. <laughs> and, yeah. And, and I'm, you know, I did seven this morning and that, that feels pretty okay. Like I can like mentally get through it. I've, I've found that I really need, like some really great music to sort of like get me through runs that are that long. Um, I've been listening to Run the Jewels three. The I don't new, know what that is. Uh, Run the Jewels, Killer Mike and LP. Run the Jewels. Run the Jewels. I'll send you the link. You can be okay. up with all the hip kids. Uh, yeah, these is days. it hip? Oh my gosh! NPR did a Tiny Desk concert. Yeah. I'm going to listen to that. Yeah, welcome to 2017, Sarah. Thank you. I'm not good at music. I listen to like the same three Pandora stations. Spotify <laughs> is a terrifying endeavor. So, <laughs> yeah, um, so I've, I've been listening to Run the Jewels uh, for all of my running, but as the as the runs are, get, are getting longer now, I'm I'm having like I'm just re- replaying the album over and over again. But today I got through almost like three times on it, so I think I'm going to have to mix it up a little bit and add something else in there. They call themselves a American hip hop super group. That feels What's great. What's a super group? I don't know. It feels awesome though. I want to be part of a super group. Yeah, maybe you should. Oh yeah. You Who are knows? actually a part of a super group. I am group. now with You're my two better the... together. Yeah. So should we let the rest of the world hear the amazingness of Aisha McGowan? I think we should. I think we should preface this by saying that Aisha is probably not probably, but is our first guest who is a competitive racing cyclist um, yes. that we know of. Nobody else mentioned that to us. No so, one shared it with yeah, us. Yeah, so, but this is sort of like, you know, what she does and who she is. And I think it's a really interesting interview in that you and I don't know much about that world. So we, we asked some pretty simple questions about bicycle racing. Um, but Aisha is also a pretty fascinating person. And she has her own podcast 
yep. as well as she talks about, I've been listening to it. It's really, really good. It's, um, it's really Fix it, interesting. Black Jesus, yeah. right? Yeah, it's funny and it's it's really insightful. Yeah, I'm going to do her plug, which she does at the end of the episode. But if you're interested in the Do Better Together challenge, if you go to a quickbrownfox.com, you can get more information on the challenge. So let's hit it. It's a pleasure to meet you via Skype. It's always funny to have your first conversations with someone over Skype. So thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Do you do a lot of Skype calls? Uh, I do, yeah. Oh. I use all forms of technology pretty regularly. (laughs) Nice. Very connected. you're calling from California? I'm in California, yeah. Where are you guys? I am in Memphis. Okay. And I'm in Boulder, Colorado. Oh, we've got like a triangle going. (laughs) Lately, we've been doing a lot of three time zone calls. It makes me feel... I like it. It's it's a good feeling <laughs> for some reason. I feel very connected to the world. So what are you doing in California? Uh, writing, teaching, working, living, whatever. <laughs> Have you been in California long? Um, a year and a half now. So I don't think that's long, but um, long enough. <laughs> Where were you before California? Uh, New York City. I was in Brooklyn. Awesome. What were you doing in Brooklyn? Same. <laughs> yeah. Pretty awesome. much. So you are a professional bike rider, is that correct? Not yet. I'm working on it. I mean, I guess it depends on how you define it. But in my opinion, the answer is no. No. How do you define professional? I do not have a contract. <laughs> okay. So how did you get into this path of working towards kind of being a more professional cyclist? Um, I mean, I started as a commuter um, in college. I just wanted to not have to pay for or take the train or wait for it. Um, And then I got into bike advocacy, and then that led me to um, a women's group in New York City called We Bike NYC. And through them, I discovered sanctioned racing and here we are, years later. So what's sanctioned racing? I literally know nothing That's about fine. that world, but I'm excited um, to learn. Okay, um, so sanctioned racing means it's um, it's got a governing body. So the governing body in the United States is USA Cycling, and the international governing body is the UCI. So sanctioned in that, like, the difference between playing in a basketball league versus playing in the NBA, like a, like a sanctioned governing body that is like, yeah. Overseeing things. Thank you. That was very helpful. Sarah, that would be different. We had a conversation, Ayesha, a couple weeks ago uh, with Court Purser who used to run like alley cat races in Memphis, Tennessee. See, that's unsanctioned. That would be unsanctioned. (laughs) I like this. Now I have new terms to use. This is so exciting. (laughs) Aisha, is there is there a particular type of racing that you're doing? Is it like road, cyclocross, yeah. mountain? Road. Okay. And you're you're, road, you're yeah. exclusive to road. Um, pretty much. I've done some track cycling mm-hmm. and plan to do a little bit more of that, but my focus is road. Was there like a moment like when you kind of were doing commuting and bike advocacy that you 
Like, what was that moment like when you were like, I, this is really fun. I would like to explore this more. You mean the advocacy or the racing? The racing. Um, I mean, I did it as a track clinic with We Bike NYC and I just had a blast and, uh, wanted to keep doing it. It just seemed like a really fun thing to do. And I mean, I'd been doing alley cats before that and they were fun, but I have like serious anxiety and that's just not the world for somebody who's super anxious. Um, (laughs) So I, I loved the thrill of going fast and like, you know, trying to win and winning sometimes, but um, I did not appreciate the um, inherent danger that came with it, um, which seemed like unnecessary risks. Like there are obviously risks in um, sanctioned racing as well, but I feel like it's a more controlled environment by far than um, alley cats. So it's just a better fit for me. And, you know, not everything is for everyone. <laughs> that is true. So there's a season, right, to, to road racing? Uh, yeah. And I guess that sort of depends on where you live. Mm-hmm. So in New York, the season usually starts in March. Uh, but here it starts in January, um, <laughs> because of the weather. Yeah. So yeah. And I, I mean, I've only lived and raced in those two places, but I assume that that like the way the season works depends on the weather, wherever you live. Yeah. And so do you, I, I would assume like during a race season, how how many, what would you say your average like number of races that you're competing in is in any given season? Uh, it goes up every year as I get more serious. Mm-hmm. I think last year I did over 40 events. Um, wow. And I don't know before that. Like maybe I think it was maybe about 20-something, 30-something the year before. Um, so, yeah. I mean, as the more dedicated I get, the, the more events I seem to do. But mm-hmm. I think this year I might actually end up doing less – because I'm focusing on road stage races. So there are multiple day events mm, for one, mm-hmm. like one race geographic location. Whereas last year I was doing a lot of criteriums, which are usually about one to three days tops. And, um, they, the race lasts about an hour and then you're done. Um, but with these, they're like much longer or, um, different types of racing, um, than what I've been doing in the past. So, yeah. This is fascinating. We've never had we've never had like a person on the podcast who's really interested sort of in the sports side of cycling. So, you know, forgive Sarah, all of Sarah's and I's silly questions. <laughs> yeah, um, no, no. Oh no, they're not silly at all. <laughs> I feel like I feel like I live in like two worlds when it comes to to, to biking. Yeah. Or even calling it biking or cycling or like finding a word for it um just because like I have very strong roots in the advocacy world and the commuter world. Um, and like, it's just a completely different thing than, um, the racing world. Like some folks who race had never commute on their bike, like ever, like have never done it. And that like blows my mind, but yeah. Um, what was that transition? Like, like we bike NYC is a woman's focused advocacy group, correct? Yes. yes. Um, so when I think of like bike professional racing, I a, don't think of women and I think, I think I primarily of like white men. So what was that transition like to kind of go from that advocacy side to this kind of other world? Uh, it, it's a lot of white men. That is true. <laughs> uh, it felt like a challenge, I guess. I guess that's kind of why I decided that I wanted to do this. I noticed 
the extreme lack of diversity, um, even, you know, like gender inequality is really big in, in most things, but, you know, also very prevalent in cycling and, mm-hmm. uh, um, there's not very many people of color. It's a very homogenous, um, situation over in the racing world. And I mean, even in like commuting and advocacy, it can be overwhelmingly white, but there is way more representation there than there is in racing. Um, I feel like there are a lot more, um, people of color organizations or women organizations and the, the the representation there is growing at a pretty consistent pace. But as far as racing goes, I don't see that being the case at all. Why do you, why do you think that is Aisha? Is it, is it an access to resources or access to, you know, the, the culture of racing? Um, I think access has a lot to do with it. I feel like, I mean, my motives for this is representation. I don't think there's representation in the sport. And I think that can be very, um, I think it could be solved a lot by representation within the industry itself. I think Mm -hmm. hiring more women, hiring more people of color, using them in ads and, and, you know, just advertising and just as ambassadors is a good thing because you don't see you don't see, you don't visibly see who, like people who look like you represented in the industry. And I feel like then you don't even consider that you would even do that thing. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't go for everyone. Obviously, a lot of folks are very individual and um, will do whatever they want to do if they stumble upon it. But I feel like the doors have not really been opened. Um, so I don't know if I want to go as far as to say that people are being kept out. Mm-hmm. Um, which was the case at a time. Mm-hmm. But I think at this point, people aren't necessarily being welcomed in either. Um, it's kind of like, oh, you discovered it? Okay, you're here. That's great. Welcome. Um, but it's not really, there's no like outreach really happening on a large scale. It's usually like a grassroots groups or small collectives of people who see a need for it and are doing it. I wonder if kind of racing is, you know, as even 20 years ago, bike advocacy and even community advocacy didn't necessarily have kind of the conversations about social justice and equity. And I wonder if like racing is one of like the last frontier under the bucket of bike culture to, to start looking at, you know, what it means to, you know, have a diverse industry and, and create kind of avenues for people to access it in, in different ways. Um, I think, I think it would, <laughs> I hate saying this, but I think it would have a bit of a trickle-down effect. <laughs> um, <laughs> I do think that if the industry could display a more diverse um, presence, like mm-hmm. if they could create a more diverse presence, then racing would have a more diverse presence. Commuting and just biking and cycling in general would also have a more diverse presence. That is an assumption and a thought and opinion, but I really do feel that um, um the representation on the industry level would make a huge impact. Yeah. You know, another thing that I think about is I sort of look sort of around the country, there seems to be, you know, there, there are growing movements, particularly around youth, right. To sort of bring in cycling as a competitive sport, particularly to, to school programs across the country. You know, there's a, there's an organization called NICA, um, that does a lot of youth uh, programs in schools, b- you know, building competitive teams within within sort of 
you know, low income, impoverished uh, neighborhoods. And, and so, you know, providing them with equipment and, and access to the races, you know, paying the registration fees. But a lot of, a lot of that seems to be centering around mountain biking racing, you know, and I'm just sort of, I'm, I'm thinking about it from a perspective of, you know, that, that there may be some growing trends moving people in, in new directions around that. Um, thinking about sort of the, the longer term generational impacts, but I wonder, I wonder why the, the, those efforts that I'm thinking about sort of tend to focus on mountain biking rather than uh, road racing. I've noticed that as well, especially here in the in North California, because I mean, there's a lot of I don't mountain bike myself, but mm-hmm. there seems to be a lot of opportunity to mountain bike around here with all the like trails and um, mountains and such <laughs> that yeah. are required. Um, and there seems to be a couple of co- composite teams, uh, localized composite teams that will um, bring in youth from various schools in the area and like mentor them and coach them. And it seems like a really great program. Um, the thing that I'm really um, excited about, there are a couple of programs on the East Coast that I've noticed. Hmm. And I don't really know. Um, I think there's one that's called like I Challenge Myself, maybe is the name of it. Okay. Um, but there was a I saw it on the internet last year where they they weren't necessarily racing, but they were doing longer rides. Like they did a college tour via bike and that was really cool. Um Oh so wow, I, what a neat concept. Yeah. Like they um like in the northeast. So I feel like they went up to like Rhode Island. Like they I think they're based in maybe the New York area. I should really look into this. I don't know. Um, but I think it's called I I challenge myself. Um, and I remember when I was racing in Philadelphia a few years ago, I saw a group of youth, like a like black youth at a race. And it was the coolest thing I'd ever seen. Um, <laughs> uh, and so I, I feel like these programs exist, just not a whole lot of folks know about them. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I want to say like maybe in the last two weeks, there was a story on NPR from Nashville, Tennessee, actually, who the local community bike shop there, the Oasis bicycle shop, um, in addition to sort of serving as, you know, a traditional community bike shop, you know, mentoring youth on mechanics and repairing bicycles, they had also started a team with the youth and that they were receiving a lot of donations. And the the NPR story was, was really interesting. It sort of described, you know, the experiences of, of the students who were, you know, going through this program, having never learned how to bike before, and then now competing, you know, on, in mountain bike races in the woods of Nashville somewhere, um, talking both about their experiences in terms of showing up the very first time and being the very worst people there, and you know, using hand-me-down bicycles and hand-me-down clothes to the growth of them as students, sort of, you know becoming more experienced at racing and, and, you know, and now sort of being very competitive in an, in an environment where they, they weren't previously. Yeah. Yeah. Super good. Super good thing. I'm, I'm interested to know, you know, it's really interesting that I think that you've sort of taken this journey, right. From, from ad, from commuter to advocacy. I think that's a pretty common story. I think a lot of us, you know, my, myself included, and a lot of our listeners, you know, share those kinds of stories where, you know, you as an individual were interested in riding a bicycle and you were doing so and you noticed, you know, that there was a need for things to be better about it, which, you know, engaged in advocacy in some way. 
um, you know, moving from advocacy to racing, that that's a, I think that's a less common, uh, you know, transition in, in some sense. And I, I wonder to what degree your experience in advocacy f- frames your perspective um, on, on your, on your racing activities. Um, I think I have a little bit more balance, um, because of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like a lot of folks in the racing community, like that's the only kind of biking that they, um, understand. Um, and so that's the only kind of biking that they think about and racing can be very intense. It's very competitive, but, um, Sometimes it's nice to just, you know, go slow or ride around or, you know, transport, transport groceries or just do simple stuff. And again, these are assumptions. I don't, I can't speak for anyone for my, but myself, but I feel like it helps me maintain a, sim- a simple joy for the bike itself versus the comp- competition part of it. If that makes sense. Yeah, no, I, th- I think it, it, does, it makes a lot of sense actually. And I, I would I would concur with your observations, right? That most of my experiences of interactions with people in the racing community, and, and I would even expand that a little bit, right? To, to those that are sort of bicycling recreationally, you know, maybe to a lot, you know, these these weekend warriors, they're they're doing very little, you know, during the week um, on on their bicycle, other than sort of you know riding long and fast distances um, over a period of time, and and that's. Aisha, I used to work for a city as a as a as the person who sort of ran a bicycle program, and that always served as a challenge. You know, when you're trying to develop programs and infrastructure around bicycling, where you have this inherent audience, right, who are pro bicycle in one sense, in that they, you know, are racing, they are riding. On, on those Saturdays and Sundays, really long distances, and they're interested in being a part of your, you know, what cities are doing for bicycling, but they're but they're really disconnected from the reality of bicycling in cities, right? In terms of people using it to get to work or to get to the grocery store, and and it's there was there was always this really awkward sense of purpose you know, from my personal perspective and trying to engage those members in more meaningful discussions because they lacked, they lacked that perspective. Yeah, no, it's, um, the conversations that are had are different. Like even like interactions with cars and just road usage is different when you're training or like doing group rides at a fast pace versus if you're just commuting, like it's, Mm. Um, yeah, I, I'm thinking about like the infrastructure and like design needs or perspectives on, you know, what makes a, a city or, you know, road safe from someone who's using it at a higher speed or to train or with a group of 20 people is different than someone who's using it at, you know, 2 a.m. to get to their 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 night shift or, you know, biking with a family. I didn't, I've never actually thought about kind of those different perspectives on needs from an infra- in, infrastructure side like looking at the different groups of people that, that utilize bikes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's pretty much what I'm, what I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> so, so with it, within racing, I wonder, you know, you sort of being a, a I, I would just sort of add you know, a new voice to, to that, 
sort of demographic of people who are bicycling in the U.S. Do you see, you know, additional Aishas coming into competitive racing, um, you know, or, or are you sort of the, the lone wolf there right now? Um, there's a handful of folks that I know of. Uh, there's a girl in Pittsburgh that races and there's some, some like juniors, like kids there. I think if you're under 18, you're considered a junior and in racing, um, that are in like the Eastern part of the country that I know about. Um, and I feel like most of the programs for people of color are geared toward track because of the accessibility of a track bike. It's just financially more feasible to build a track bike than a road bike. Mm -hmm. Um, but the answer is yes, there are other folks out there riding bikes that look like me, just not very many. And I don't know particularly what their goals and ambitions are, but at least for the kids that are doing it, they seem to have very high goals. But um, that's kind of what happens when you're a kid. I just hope that they stick with it, you know? Yeah. And so, Aisha, you also have a – you're a fellow podcaster. Is that Correct. Correct. And what, what, what do you, do you talk about racing on your podcast? What's the content on the podcast? I don't, I don't talk about bikes at all, except to mention that I ride them sometimes. Oh, cool. <laughs> um, it's more of a like cultural podcast. It's called fix it black Jesus. Um, and it is, um, a collaboration between me and my best friend, Laura, who moved to Portland around the same time that I moved near San Francisco. Um, so we were both living in New York and then moved to the West Coast and just had this like culture shock of like, where are all the black people? Like we cannot find them. Um, <laughs> and so we start the podcast by asking each other if we've met any new black people that week and just kind of talking about issues in the black community and like what's happening. And um, we followed the election, which was, you know, you were there. Um, yes. <laughs> Yeah, so just kind of talking about the world from our perspective, and sometimes we have guests, and yeah. How long have y'all been podcasting? Um, it's fairly new. We started last fall. Um, awesome. So we just did uh, a bonus episode this past week, so we're on, like, I think the 15th actual episode, but we name our bonus episodes um an S, kind of like the iPhone, so it was 13S. Oh, wow. <laughs> you guys are more clever than Kyle and I. Gosh. Um, I was, so I was interested, I, I, after you graciously filled out the survey that we do, I looked at the podcast, and I'm really interested about what you were talking about on the bonus episode, intersectionality doesn't work. I haven't listened to it, which I should have, and so I hold, I hold responsibility for that, but um, what are your conversations about intersectionality on the podcast like? Um, well, that was an episode where we had a guest. Um, mm -hmm. my, my friend Jason Marshall is a very, very opinionated human being, and he always has what we like to call the receipts to back it up. Um, and so we just wanted to uh, talk to him about his views on inter intersectionality. And he, he feels that intersectionality just doesn't work the way that folks generally like to think it works. Like, he doesn't like to use that term. Um, he believes that uh, issues should be attacked one at a time. Um, and all the focus needs to go to one specific issue in order to actually accomplish the goal that you're trying to accomplish. Um, just saying that, like, diversifying yourself so much will compromise everything. Like, you're not going to solve all of the problems together. You have to target one at a time. Um, and so it was just, I just enjoy talking to him. He's a very good conversationalist. He 
doesn't get in the way. It's not, there's no mansplaining. Um, and he's very articulate in his views and does a good job of explaining himself and um, helping you to understand where he's coming from, even if you don't agree. Um, and so, yeah, that was um, what that conversation looked like. Awesome. I'm going to have to listen to it. Um, it's funny, Kyle and I have did, are doing themes this year, and this theme for this set of podcasts is intersectionality. And so I'd what love to have another perspective on you know, and kind of when we opened with our first episode, Kyle and I really wanted to be challenged on, um, you know, what other people's perspectives are on that, what it means to be two white people talking about intersectionality. Um, and so I look forward to listening to that, that episode. Thanks. How did you guys like, were you just like sitting around and you were like, I want to start a podcast? What, what is there like an origin story? Um, well, when I moved out here, I just ended up driving so much. I feel like I'm always driving somewhere. Like I'm always in my car is the most depressing thing in the world, um, which has changed recently. Thankfully, I'm a much happier person now. Um, but before I was always in my car, um, driving to various, um, jobs that I'd kind of put together to, you know, live. And, uh, the thing that helped me get through it was podcasts, like just listening to different podcasts help pass the time while sitting in endless hours of traffic. Um, <laughs> and so, uh, my, my friend Laura and I, um, just wanted to have these discussions and kind of share them with folks and have guests and talk to them about it. And we felt like, we felt like it was an interesting perspective, um, as two transplants on the West coast. Um, it was something that we completely did not expect, um, to feel the way that we felt. So, um, we just wanted to make a podcast about it. And um, we both have very vibrant but different personalities. Um, so it's I think it's really fun. I, I would, you know, I would echo from not a black perspective, but I, I've had friends in the past who have moved, you know, from Memphis to places in the West you know, places like Salt Lake City or Portland, or, and even now, now that I'm here in Colorado, I just I just moved this past summer, Aisha, and and when I talk, when I would talk to those individuals, I would always say, you know, what what do you miss most about, you know, sort of being in, in Memphis, and and undoubtedly their response would always be something related to, you know, the impact that black culture has, you know, sort of on on a city. And whether that's the music or the food or, um, you know, the aspect of socializing and, 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 and uh, you know, gathering and family, you know, all of those kinds of things that sort of are, are really apparent, you know, particularly in the southeast, you know, where, where Sarah and I are from, that they just don't exist in the West. Um, and you don't really realize that until you're here and you begin to look around and you're like, whoa. Yeah, it's super uh, different. Like, like, so for, here's another, here's a story about that. So my, I have a son who's five years old. He's in kindergarten. He, <laughs> we go to a local elementary school and you know, his school is, is all white kids. And one day on the playground, I, I saw a black kid running on the playground and my son was playing with him and I was like, wow. I didn't, you know, like there he is. And, and I was like, where, I was looking for his parents. Like I was trying to, I was trying to find his parents to, 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 to talk to them and find out where they that's were my, from. That's my whole life. Oh, God. Whole life here. It's so exciting because it's so different. 
Where did you, where you, do you live here? Where did you come from? <laughs> What's your address? Can we like, hang out immediately? <laughs> like a lot of the folks, like, and when we're ta- like naming who we met, it's usually like, like gas station attendant or like grocery store cashiers or like a random person that normally would like bother or annoy you like a, like a, like a homeless person or a displaced person stretching on the train was mine last week. Um, but you just still get excited because you saw a black person and it's yeah. just like, we take what we can get, you know? Um, <laughs> my, my story doesn't, yeah. my story doesn't end so happily. I, I found his parents, uh, and they were two white people that had, had adopted him. <laughs> So, so even in, even in my pursuit, I, I still could, I still couldn't find, uh, you know, a, a pair of young black parents, uh, here in Colorado. So I, I mean, I, sure they're somewhere there's usually, you know, there's usually one or two or five. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's, 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 a, it's just, it's a different part of the country, right. That, you know, yeah. it, that, that has a history and has a culture, but it's not as, it, in my opinion, it's it's not as developed and it's not as diverse, you know, as what we sort of see in the eastern part of the United States. And right. there's we could, there's probably a whole other podcast episode, right, where we talk about uh, what, why that actually is. But but it's yeah, also, it's, I mean, well, yeah. one of the things I can't I don't really know too much about um, the Bay Area, but mm-hmm. I know Oregon was um, it was illegal for you to be black in Oregon Mm -hmm. for a really long time. I don't know when that actually like went away. Um, but I feel like, um, black folks were just kept out for so long that by the time it was like, Hey, you can come now. Like who wants to, you know, who wants to go there? I feel like if they're like folks kind of trickled in, but you're not going to have as many, um, as you would have if they hadn't like been deliberately kept out for so long. Or, or, you know, the, the the other side of that too is that, you know, or forced, you know, forced through through the mechanisms of of slavery or servitude, you know, to move out west. We we had, you know, sort of as a nation that was by by and large that the practice of that had had stopped, you know, post Civil War, and so we weren't forcing, you know, whole groups of people to move to certain places in the country. Truth, yeah, and they were like. No, those mountains are really high. We'll just stay over here in the south. Yeah. <laughs> mountains are tough. I mean, I, do you also notice, like, kind of what are some other cultural differences between? Because you really, I mean, it is kind of like Brooklyn to San Francisco. Those are those are two different places. They're almost like different countries. <laughs> um, the culture, like beyond just like not having a whole bunch of black folks is different on um, just the attitudes and the um like new york is a very like fast-paced bustling like get it done kind of city and everyone's pretty chill here um which kind of drives me crazy because i'm always at like a 20 um and everyone else is kind of like at an eight <laughs> <laughs> uh and like folks are more passive aggressive here like i went home last year at some point and people were like cursing each other out because someone got cut off by a taxi or something i don't know and they st- it was great like i was so happy that someone just cursed the other person out because they had this emotion and then they just let it out <laughs> <laughs> but here i feel like everyone not everyone but a lot of folks are very passive aggressive and they are not very good at like being direct communicators um and i find that very frustrating um and- yeah i grew i went to high school on the east coast in south jersey um, and spent a lot of kind of 
adolescence and kind of growing up on the East Coast. So when I moved to Memphis, I was like, why are people smiling at me? I don't, (laughs) like, I felt like I didn't trust, like, the kindness. Um, And, like, I wanted to question and dissect the kindness to figure out if it was, like, authentic or not. And it was, like, for a few years, like, very difficult because I was just like, I don't trust any of these people who are smiling at me all the time. Like, why are they saying hello? It was very bizarre. But now I say y'all and I probably smile at everybody. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think it's also difficult to assimilate because I moved here in my late 20s. I was done mm-hmm. with college. I was not really looking to like start a new community, find a new set of friends. Like, I feel like I'd done that a couple times already and I'm exhausted. <laughs> um, and I feel like in New York, it's just like you're so always constantly surrounded by folks. Right. And it's just really easy to fall into a group. But here, I feel like you kind of have to go out of your way a little bit to, to make that happen. Um, and that's not something that I particularly invested in, but I'm doing, I'm doing better with that. I'm like making a concerted effort to like do more things and see more people. (laughs) So, yeah. Do you race as a part of a team, um, there? Um, I recently joined a team for this season. Um, and the season is very, very new, you know, it's still February. Um, yep. so we haven't really raced much as a, a team yet, but our first team event will be at the end of February. Um, so excited to see how that goes. Yeah, that, that's really exciting. Do you, do you, um, did you join this team because they're like speculative winners or did they invite you having seen you perform in, in other races in the past? Like how do you, how do you go about like joining a team? That's sort of my question. Um, I was asked if I wanted to join this team. I mean, on the local level, things are usually way more chill. It's not like as competitive to be Mm -hmm. a part of a Mm -hmm. team. Um, but I do think that this team has a pretty solid pool of talent. So I'm excited about that. Um, and they asked me to join and they're targeting a lot of the same races that I wanted to do anyway. So it seemed like a, just like a good fit. Um, Did you like interview the team before you said yes? Like, do you have like a scouting, like a set of criteria <laughs> when you look at a team? <laughs> um, I asked some questions, but I, I like I I know most of the girls from you know racing with them over last season, mm-hmm. or knew of them enough that I felt pretty confident with what I was getting myself into. Um, and pretty, I'm pretty close with a, a, a few of them, so. It, it was like, oh, I get to race with my friends. That's great. Um, who just happened to also be really huge lady crushers. So <laughs> that, that, that's, that's what I was going to ask next was whether or not um, does, does, it, does it feel fun? Um, and, I th- and I think you answered the question, right, that you get to race, race with these individuals versus you just being sort of competitive the entire time. Yeah, I'm like the most least competitive person I know. Like I I like winning, who doesn't? Yeah. Um but I think I like having fun more. Um I do get disappointed with a bad performance, um human. Um but I the thrill of racing is a lot of fun. Like sometimes I have really have a really good time not winning and that those are like my my favorite days on the bike. Um when a race was really hard, it didn't do very well, but I still had a really good time. Um so when you're racing at the local level like that, is are are there the within the teams are there the are there the, are there the same kinds of assigned roles that we would sort of see like when we want, when we watch like the Tour de France, right? You know, are, are, do you have like sprinters and climbers and 
all around people or people that you're trying to push towards the win or, or is it, or is it a little bit more about the team or in, it, rather than individuals? Um, I think on the level that I'm going to race this year, it will be more about that in the past. It was not. Mm-hmm. Um, but Northern California has quite a few teams with like, like a quite a few strong teams that also race, um, like higher level races like Redlands and, um, different races and, there's a lot of opportunity for stage races in California. So you just naturally find stronger teams here. Um, and there's a lot of pros that live around here and they do a lot of the group rides and folks train with them all the time. So I feel like the competitiveness here versus New York is way higher. Everyone takes themselves super seriously here. Everyone's Mm. super pro. Um, whether that's true or not, not sure. Um, but that's the, the the attitude that I sense. Um, but it does raise the level of racing significantly, um, and it makes it a lot harder and a lot more fun. Um, and cycling is a team sport when it's done correctly. And if you have a strong team, you'll do much better than if you just have one strong rider. Um, so yeah, in a in a, a road race um, situation, I think you will see more similarities to what um folks are used to seeing from like the tour people um on some level it's not going to be exactly the same but on some level it will resemble that it does so any- like the team can win and an individual like, like what does winning actually mean <laughs> <laughs> okay so <laughs> the team wins in spirit (laughs) Um, if one of their riders wins the race and there are some um events where they will have team competitions and the team can actually win um but on a a more localized level it's a team win is considered a team win if one of their riders wins okay and does anybody in the world actually understand the point system for cycling racing? <laughs> That's my next question. I have to look at it constantly myself. Yeah. So there's <laughs> a point myself what the system is. Well, the way it works is everyone's now they've introduced a women's cat five. So everyone starts as a cat five, a category five racer. It's like the ranking. And in order to get out of category five, you need to race 10 races. Um, and then you automatically become a category four, you apply for your upgrade and then they give you a category four if you've done 10 races. And then from there you have to start earning points. So in order to get out of category four, I think you need 20 points and you earn points by placing well in racing. So if there are, it's depending on the length of the event, the number of people participate and the number of people participating and then where you placed like how, what number you were across the line in that race. So if there are 20 people and it's over, I think, 40 miles maybe is the number. I don't know offhand. Um, you can get eight points for winning um, as a Category 4, a road race. That's considered a road race. So if it's over 40 miles, it's a road race. If it's under um, 40 miles but over 20, 15 i don't remember it's a criterion and if it's less than that you don't get any points um so it's the number of points no points so if you don't have enough people in the race you don't get points if you don't have enough miles for the race you don't get points 
And the thing that really used to frustrate me in New York is they have park races. So they feel kind of like road races, but they're not road races. And they were usually like less than 10 miles shy of a road race. So the difference between points is usually um, quite a few. So I think you can get like eight points if you win a road race. Um, and there's over 20 people, but maybe five points if you win a criterion and there's over 20 people. So you were like, you could have gotten three more points if the mile had, if the race had been a couple miles longer. Um, but it's, it's like a, a game with yourself, I guess, yeah. trying to see <laughs> if you can place well. Um, but I feel like it also has an effect on attendance because a lot of folks won't show up for a race if there's not enough people to get points from. Um, so there's this cat and mouse where when you register, you can see who else is already registered. And if um, on the um, the platform that you use to register online, and if there's not a whole lot of girls, some people won't register. They'll say, oh, there's no point. I'm not going to get any points anyway. Um, so I'm not going to show up for that one. Mm-hmm. And then if enough people do that, then you don't really have a big enough field for anything. Um, so I don't know. Yeah. To answer your question, I don't think... I don't know. I don't think anyone. I, really I, I think you answered. I think you answered. I think it you answered the question. With how incredibly complicated it actually is. I want to know. Like, it's not super complicated. I made it sound way more complicated than it is. It's not that complicated. It makes sense. I just can never remember the exact numbers all the time. But it's on the internet, so I just go look, and then I and then I know again. And, and then when you're when you're when you're doing stage races, there's a there's a scoring system within there's that. There's an omnium right? system. So, it's, which can be confusing in itself because it depends like there's a maximum number of points you can get some you can't get points if you're four there's no omnium points for that it's just like there's so many like different like rules and nuances mm-hmm. that you have to like constantly go check and see like okay wait what is this what is this race worth like, what can <laughs> i what can i gain from this <laughs> yeah and, and it you know when i when i casually watch like bicycle racing on on television you know when i'm when I'm up answering emails late at one, late one night and they're replaying a race from the last week or something, you know, I just sort of accept the fact that there are professionals that are telling me accurately how things are being scored and that the teams are, you know, strategizing the best ways to maximize their, their point gains. But I, I sort of take it at that level and don't try to, uh, don't try to infer too much from, you know, from from that because I because it is it is very complex and there's a lot of nuances to it. Well, that's a different system. You mean the point <laughs> system in stage races, like the tour, or like yeah, oh uh, yeah. Well, I was talking about the upgrade point. System yeah, I mean, I mean, I, but, that, but I think that made the point right. Is that <laughs> we we can really talk about this on a couple of different spectrums, and it's all yeah. it's all really complex. Well, some of them are points, and some of them is time, and time. Then there's bonuses, and like it's just uh, yeah. Someone knows. There's always someone somebody knows. you can ask. Yeah. <laughs> there's always I'm someone like, break it down to you. <laughs> you just have I've, to find that human. <laughs> yeah, I I feel foolish because I've watched races on TV and even in person, and had no idea this system even existed. I'm just like, oh just cheering on like someone's kid I like and that's about as far as I've gotten into it so this is very helpful yeah I mean well that's how people can win a stage race without winning every stage of the race Mm -hmm. um because of the point system but yes it's worth looking into if you want to know more (laughs) I bet bet people that like NASCAR would sort of like this 
because they, they they have. You know, an, I don't know an, anything an, about NASCAR. I think they have an equally <laughs> convoluted point system where you don't actually have to win a bunch of races. You just have to do well enough in them, and at the end of the season, I think you can win. You can be like the NASCAR champion. Again, I'm just I'm just sort of speaking from a very casual perspective because I don't really know. Sarah's really in the NASCAR. Oh yeah, big <laughs> big fan. The biggest yeah? of fans. No, not at all. Oh, okay. Um, I'm gullible. No, Thanks, guys. Sorry, I'm sarcastic, <laughs> so it's the worst. Um, but I do really enjoy like race car. I like driving fast. I could see myself in a different universe <laughs> being a NASCAR driver. But that's a, probably a whole nother conversation. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Kyle, you got anything else for us? Aisha, you have any questions for us? Uh, I do not. Well, I just wanted to ask a sort of a final question here for you, Aisha. And, you know, as you, you know, sort of occupy, occupy, you know, a unique space within racing and advocacy, you know, what's your, what's your hope for the future in terms of, you know, the ways in which, you know, bicycling communities come together, you know, you know, is, is, is there a, is there a long-term vision that you think is, you know, achievable that we're, that we're working towards? Um, I mean, I'm kind of on the Jason Marshall, my friend who doesn't believe that intersectionality works spectrum with this, Mm -hmm. where I'm focusing specifically on growing numbers of, um, women of color. Yeah. Um, so I feel like there are quite a few folks doing the work to make the community come together. But my focus is, um, getting more women of color to know what's happening here and possibly do it as well. Yeah. Um, and so, um, yeah, that's my, that's my long-term goal. So I've a quick brown fox is like the project. Mm-hmm. Um, I've like turned it into a project before it was just a thing, but now it's, I'm officially considering it a project and I just launched a virtual ride series to try and encourage people to like set goals and ride their bike and accomplish those goals. Kind of like a step-by-step sort of thing, kind of making it seem less um, daunting. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think it's pretty cool. It starts tomorrow, the first one. Um, Oh wow. And so I'm really excited to see, you know, how that goes. Um, Where, where can people learn about a quick brown fox? Um, my website is equipbrownfox.com and the information for the virtual ride series is there and registration is still open if people want to participate. Um, but I don't know when this will publish. So February registration closes Monday, so it'll probably be closed by that point, but, um, it's going on for six months. So, um, it's 10 days, six months. It's like a 10, a 10 day challenge where you set your goal and then during the 10 days you accomplish it and then you get a medal and you can enter to win a bike. Um, Ooh. This yeah, is awesome. We'll make sure to promote, promote this on the. Yeah, on th- the, this actually publishes on Monday. Monday so, yeah. So if they, can they That's can the, they register? Yeah, they can register on Monday. All right, so they have, they have twelve I'd hours to register. Sit until Tuesday if there's enough demand, but I'll probably. My plan right now is to close it on Monday. So, yeah. Cool, and if awesome. and if they can't register for this time, that they, they, they can at least read the, the information, get in, get in yeah. line for the next one. Exactly. Awesome. That's so great. Thank you. And you, it's not for like just people who are racing. It's like for everybody who wants to ride a bike. Like, I think a lot of folks are intimidated because um, I don't really know what persona I give off, but I'm super chill. Like I'm not like I don't 
I don't, I believe in meeting people where they are. I believe that everybody um, is just fine with doing what they're doing. And if they want to do more, then I think they should do more. Um, but I don't think that anybody needs to like be someone else because everyone else is taken, right? So, yeah. Amen to that. Awesome. I'm going to register. I'm excited. I'm doing something to help like get me on a bike more than I usually am on it. So this is all, this is exactly what I was looking for. Thank you. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. It does full disclosure. Um, the money does help to help me fund my season because bike racing is expensive. Oh yeah, absolutely. But the, it's like a dual goal of getting people on bikes and becoming the first African-American female professional road cyclist and then all working together. Um, it's like the non fundraiser with prizes and medals and the medal is really cool. I'm really excited about it. Oh my God, I would wear it. I would be so obnoxious if I won a medal. I would just wear it. Collect all six. <laughs> awesome. Yes. Well, now we can keep, I'll keep everyone updated on my, on my um, better together experience alongside you. Please. Yes. Awesome. Well, thank you again for taking time out of your Friday to chat with us. This was really awesome. And I think you're the first person we've had that really races on a serious level. So there you go. I have a medal for you, but go a gold star. It's okay. I have so many right now that just came yesterday. (laughs) (laughs) I have so many medals. I don't get to keep them. (laughs) I want to give them away. (laughs) The Bike Nerds Podcast is a joint production of the Bike Nerds, Sarah and Kyle, and the OEM Network based in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, visit theoemnetwork.com slash thebikenerds. Want to nerd out more? Find us on the web at thebikenerdspodcast.com, on Twitter at The Bike Nerds, and on Facebook, The Bike Nerds Podcast. Drop us a note or recommend another bike nerd to have on the show by sending us an email at thebikenerdspodcast at gmail.com. 